Welcome to my podcast. My name is Jamin Gerker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission is to help people build intentional and significant legacies for themselves and their families by coaching them in real estate. And the purpose of this podcast is to really peel back the, the veil a little bit and show people what it's like actually living here on the last frontier from the perspective of people who actually live here. And we're very lucky today. We have got Zane who recently moved up here with his family. They moved along to the Alcan and recently settled over in the, the Palmer Wasilla area, the Matsu over in South Central Alaska. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking about their experience getting up here. And we're also going to be talking about any tips they may have and really what their perspective is so far of, of the area after having, having lived here. So without further ado, please welcome Zane. Hello, Damon. Hello, hello. So let's uh, let's go and start with this. Um, where where did y'all come from before moving to Alaska? So me and my wife grow up primarily on the West Coast in Oregon. I've also lived in a few other states, such as Utah, Idaho, California, um, uh, and was natively born in Idaho. My wife lived in Central Oregon and grew up there. Um, she was born there as well. Very nice. So uh, what got you guys thinking about moving to Alaska? We, I had uh, always been interested and kind of made the joke with my wife that, you know, you're moving to Alaska with me or, or I'm going by myself. And uh, here about three springs ago, uh, we went to Fairbanks and after a, a, a good eyes on the ground and coming back and talking about it, we decided that was a little bit too remote uh, for us. If you need anything outside of Fairbanks, it seems like your day, day and a half drive to just about any sort of medical care outside needs that uh, Fairbanks can't help with. Yeah. I mean, Fairbanks is, um, it's awesome for some people, but for other people, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a little extreme. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Uh, we, I grew up in uh, fishing, hunting, working with your hands, family. Um, so I've, we've always been big into the outdoors and, uh, had a child a couple of Decembers ago and decided that as a family, that it was just time for us to, to figure out a way to get up here. So here we are. Oh, good deal. So did you guys get to, to go and do any fishing this year? I, you were kind of at the tail end of the, of the salmon run when you guys got up here, but did you guys ever get a chance to get out? Uh, unfortunately we did not. We did, uh, we came up mid September and had a beautiful Airbnb in, uh, Midtown Anchorage. Uh, so we did spend quite a bit of time walking, um, a local Creek there. It's about 30 feet wide, but they call it a Creek. And we did get to observe some of the tail end of the salmon run. Uh, but unfortunately that's just something we're going to have to look forward to next spring and fall. Gotcha. Well, when you guys do go, you definitely need to go try out Whittier. It's, um, yeah, yeah it, it's super close, but there's also this spot where the, uh, where a Creek is feeding directly into the, into the ocean right there. And that's where all the salmon swim up. And mm. so you can get a snagging hook and you've just got hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of salmon going up that way. Uh, my uh, <clears throat> brothers and I went there one time. We caught and released like 230 odd salmon in one afternoon. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. No, we, uh, we definitely look forward to it. We, my wife and I both do love fishing and uh, it's something we look forward to. 
Outstanding. We got that to look forward to. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's rewind a little bit then. So you guys were looking at moving up here. You just went over to the Fairbanks, kind of filled things out a little bit. Um, can you kind of explain what were some of the initial challenges you had to, had to overcome? What's some of the um, initial inertia you had to, had to overcome? Sure. Uh, we had uh, been planning this move roughly about a year, year and a half. Um, and about halfway through that, as we know, the world shut down. Um, so that as as we drew closer to the, the move date that we had determined was appropriate for us, um, there, there were definitely some hurdles, both uh, political and intergovernmental, um, that were challenging, but with uh, a clear mind and proper planning, it wasn't something we, we couldn't overcome. Got it. Okay. Uh, what were, I guess, some of the, um, the governmental and other challenges you guys had? Cause I mean, I definitely know it was, um, it was a little bit of a challenge trying to, trying to move around and get over borders when you, during yeah. the time of COVID. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, so the, the week we were moving, they started opening up a little more of the recreational travel. But um, during our planning phase, uh, it, was, it was still only you know, critical movement as required. Um, so what we did is we showed the Canadian government that we had housing for 60 days we had uh, an appropriate amount of money set aside and we had a, a plan on paper to follow uh, and that certainly helped us when it came time to customs you always hear nightmare stories um, I don't know whether it was just us being fortunate or the, the you know the thought out vibes that we gave to the Canadian government um, but when we showed up, paperwork in hand, planned in hand, ready to go, um, T's crossed, I's dotted. They they didn't even come out and look at the vehicles. They literally went through our paperwork, asked us a, a handful of questions, um, stamped us out and sent us on our way. We didn't have to do a two-week quarantine period. Uh, we didn't have any issues on that end. Um, but you you definitely need to do your homework have your plan um, and not just in your head, you need to have it on paper for an official to, to see and review. Um, and I, I think that's what helped us at the end of the day. Uh, but it certainly, I mean, is quite a bit of work just digging up the information and then you have to go, you know, we had pets and people um, and what the Canadian government classified as dangerous goods. You need to know what you have in your vehicle. You need to know how it needs to be labeled and transported per not only the United States regulations, but also the Canadian regulations. Um, huh. And we, we the, had that all done. Yeah. What do they consider a, a dangerous substance? Fuels. Um, really? So okay. propane tanks, fuel cans, um, all of that kind of thing. Ammunition, firearms, um, uh, pet food, the, the food and frozen food you bring, if you so choose, uh, there's a lot of rules around that. It's really, just, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, I, I, whether or not they choose to enforce the rules, I don't know, but we, we had, you know, you have to have, they say your pet food has to be commercially purchased in a bag made in, uh, North America. So, you know, whether or not they'd ever harass you about it, I, I, I can't, or can't say, 
Um, but, but if you have all that information available, I think it looks good on you to them. Yeah, that, that's kind of was my experience going through it as well. I mean, as long as you had, I mean, I don't know about you, but we had like a, a spreadsheet literally that just showed, okay, this is exactly what's in this box. This is what's in this box. Mm. And we I weren't mean, quite to that level, but, but we, we knew what was on board, you know, if, and if they asked us, you know, and then I had the propane tanks mounted on the, the back of the Wrangler, uh, they go, how many pounds of fuel do you have? Are you under this limit? I said, yes, all the tanks are labeled per your Canadian regulations. This is how many you know, kilograms of fuel I have on board. Um, so they did ask a little bit about that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, really what I'm hearing and what my experience has been is that if you know the regulations enough where you can actually quote it back to them, mm-hmm. they're for the most part going to leave you alone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, if they ask you a question, you, your response is what I didn't know. Yada, yada, yada. I think that's, that's where people can fall into the trap of customs. Uh, but I, I, I hundred percent agree. If, if you seem knowledgeable and you seem like, you know what you're doing, they, they didn't seem to give us a hard time. Yeah. I, I think really the issue people start having is where they don't really know the, the rules or don't know them as well as they think they do. Mm-hmm. And then they start arguing with the customs guy and it's like, yeah, they're an uphill battle. <laughs> that's, that's going to be an uphill battle, but not only mm. that, like customs is there not necessarily to, to just roll out the welcome mat. They're there to screen people out, not let yeah. people in if they're not going to play by the rules. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, I, uh, I give customs a lot of crap, but. I know why. I know why they yeah they do what they, they have do. a job to do. That's that's certain. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about the about the route getting through Canada. Um, okay. How how quickly were you guys able to do it? Because obviously you had your had your son with you, and you know dogs and um, you know the whole crew. All so, that yeah yeah everybody. So our our mileage total, we ended up just over 3,000 miles. We did it in six days. I drove a 20-foot U-Haul with a uh, full car trailer and a Wrangler on the back. My wife drove her Jeep, um, and it took us six days. We had one day to the Canadian border. We had about three and a half or so through Canada and about another day on the um, the Alaskan side coming back down to South Central. Uh, the first day we made it to the border. We spent the night on the United States side. We hit the border first thing in the morning. Uh, there was literally one guy ahead of us in customs. So we were in and out of customs and I'd say less than 45 minutes. They didn't get into our vehicles. They didn't even go outside. They didn't roll up the door of the U-Haul. We were just knowledgeable, had our information ready, provided it to them. And they, they sent us on our way, thankfully. Uh, funny story that the day, the morning that we went, they have uh, an application called Alcan, which I highly recommend if you're going to be crossing the Canadian border. Uh, their system was down in the morning and my wife was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We don't have this finalized. And I'm like, look, we're a day and a half and our house is sold. Somebody's moving into it this morning behind us. So we drove to the border, explained our situation while having all that information ready, and we still didn't get harassed or anything, um, even though technically, because we didn't use the LCAN app, um, not at our fault or anything, but uh, 
he did let us know we were technically supposed to quarantine, but he didn't, he didn't end up going through with it at all. He let us go. Mm, um, but it certainly could have been much more challenging. We didn't, we had a plan for a quarantine period in a hotel, but for two weeks, but it really wasn't in the cards per se. Um, and, and thankfully everything worked out. Yeah. I, I, and I think the Canadians on the ground actually understand how nonsical the idea is that you're going to get over the border and then isolate for two weeks in yeah. the country. Just make, if you've got it, just get in, get out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were, like I said, three and a half days through Canada versus two weeks of sitting in there and then driving three and a half days. It doesn't, it doesn't make much logistical sense, but. Right. Um, so what are, what are some of the, the tips you would give to um, give to people as they're, they're driving the Alcan then? I would say uh, strongly recommend um, three types of navigation. If you can two at an absolute bare minimum. So, you know, most people have a cell phone and or car GPS that works really well down in the lower 48, but a lot of those satellites don't get much attention paid to Canada. Um, as we found out the, uh, the navigation in my wife's Jeep didn't work particularly well through the um, uninhabited parts of Canada. Our satellite radio on both of our vehicles doesn't work at all up here. So side note for those who want to pay for a year subscription to drive up here, and not listen to the satellite radio. Um, that's certainly something to think about. Uh, maps are always a good idea. I felt like the route that we drove was relatively well signed uh, as far as informational signs go. I don't feel like at any point we were really lost, but um, as people say, you know, you can drive for eight to nine hours in between nothingness um, and see uh, two or three signs. So to drive for a couple hours and not even see a sign is, is going to be odd for a lot of people that aren't used to driving through open country. Uh, but I feel overall it was, it was pretty well signed. Just like I said, that GPS and map information is, is always a good backup. Uh, what we also did was at the end of each day, we planned the following day. So, Hey, we made it to our checkpoint or we didn't, how do we need to change our route for the following day? Do we need to wake up earlier and add a couple extra hours to the route? Um, about halfway through the day when we typically sat down and ate lunch, we tried to start calling when we were in the nearest city, calling around for hotels for the evening. Uh, if you hit one of these small towns at seven o'clock and think you're going to find a hotel room, you may or may not be mistaken. Um, so that is certainly something to consider. I would not advise planning your hotels ahead of time. Um, the first day we hit highway one was closed for a wildfire. So our first day we had almost a 500 mile detour. Um, so mm -hmm. that certainly would have thrown any hotel plans and reservations out the window. So, uh, we're, we're a very properly planned family. Um, but unfortunately this is one of those cases where it's, it's just not going to be advantageous for you to have hotel rooms and all that prefigured out, at least in our case, it wasn't, I should say. Um, but we were ready to camp, and, but we did not actually end up having to camp a single night. We had a hot cup of coffee and a shower every night or morning, whatever it ended up being. Um, so that was pretty nice. We, we thought for sure at least one, maybe two nights we were going to be camping out in the Yukon, but uh, that didn't happen. So my wife was happy about that. 
uh, and it certainly made getting up and going in the morning a lot easier. Oh, yeah, I, I can imagine, especially if you have a toddler. <laughs> mm, yes, yes. Uh, the, the fuel situation here, a lot of people talk about take extra fuel. Uh, I, I would never be a proponent and say it's not a good idea to have extra fuel. Um, my U-Haul was getting roughly six to seven miles to the gallon. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty steep. And when that fuel light comes on, it says 50 miles. It's more than, it's more about 35. Uh, I didn't have to use any fuel. I was pretty close at one point. Um, I would say if you have, you know, a, a fairly modest fuel tank range, three to 400 miles on a full tank of fuel, I'd say if you fill up anytime you hit half a tank, you, you, you won't have any fuel issues. Uh, they're pretty good about signing, uh, you know, the big blue signs that say no fuel for 150 miles, etc. cetera. Uh, they were pretty good about having that signed. Um, but I'd say if you hit half a tank, start looking for fuel and I don't think you'd have any issues, but it's always a good idea to carry additional fuel. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, especially because some of those gas stations are sometimes can be closed out there. And mm, there's not going to be anything that, that says that you just show up and it's like, well, they're closed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, uh, one thing we found obviously during COVID and all that, uh, you'd see a hotel on your phone. Oh my gosh. It's got a gazillion five-star reviews from three years ago. And you go there or you call them and they're like, oh yeah, no, we're, we're not going to be open or, oh yeah, well, we decided to reconstruct part of our hotel at this time. So we're not available for guests. So certainly something to check as well um, is to make sure the, the places you may or may not plan to stay are actually open because that could be an issue. Yeah, in Hawaii, they've got something called island time. And on the Alcan, it's kind of the same thing. They kind of mm -hmm. just do their own thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, nice folks. Didn't, didn't meet a rude person. Um, like I said, had a, a, a bed and a hot shower every night. So I really, really no complaints as far as the drive went. The stretch between Whitehorse, Canada and Toke is uh, treacherous. Um, so definitely plan on going significantly slower than the speed limit through that stretch if you, if you try and plan your route very much. Uh, the road does get rough. Yeah, it's, it looks like a scene from Mars. Yeah. It's like a bunny hill. Like that's yeah. really what it is. <laughs> you 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 wonder how it really connects two massive communities when the road conditions are like that, but you can drive through it. <laughs> yeah, I guess, guess we do it all the time. So it's possible. Just going to lose an axle. If you go blasting through there at 70 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there are some spots. Yeah. You slow down to 25, 30 miles an hour and go through the, washes that have been repaved four or five times oh good deal all right so remind me now were we under contract before you guys had physically gotten here for on your house or were you here and then got under contract we had been looking at the market for a while we drove up here we were not under contract and we started looking the end of the first week that we were here Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So we didn't have to do the, like the virtual showings and nope, all that, all that fun. Okay. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. You know, we, we, we did discuss that as a family and it uh, wasn't an option to try and get tied down to a house we hadn't physically seen. 
Um, so that was just a, a route we decided wasn't going to be an option for us. Yep. And that is perfectly fine because you guys had the Airbnb and it just worked that you guys could could hang yep. out in there until you found a house. So it's good to, good to have those options. Absolutely. Um, but now that you guys have lived up here a little bit, you've kind of seen the, the Alaska house. Um, can you explain maybe some differences about Alaska houses that, that you've noticed from what you're used to? So uh, heating sources, um, there's a lot of baseboard heaters and electric heating, which wasn't very common in the area we lived in, uh, just because of the price of electricity. Um, but there's, uh, I don't think there's necessarily any bad heat sources, but, uh, I would definitely try and find a home or plan to have multiple heat sources. Uh, we've already had the power out once at our location in the first 30 days. Um, and, uh, a non-powered heat source is always going to be a good option up here, I believe. Um, and we'll stand the test of time. Right. Oh yeah, that's right. The, um, Power went out because of the, the windstorm whipping through yes. the Wasilla, right? Yeah. Yep. We had uh, about 60 mile an hour winds in our area, took down power for a community of about 3,000 people just two or three miles to our east uh, for almost a day and a half. So uh, it's definitely not quite like the lower 48. If you're remote up here and your power goes out, you might not be the first people on the power company's list, uh, depending on how far out of town you live. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just how it works sometimes. I mean, luckily yep. those really big winds, they're usually not going to be during the winter time. So, um, usually you're not going to have like the, the nightmare scenario where it goes out and it's like negative 20 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But still, yeah, have multiple sources of heat in there that you can. I mean, I've got a, got a fourplex here. And my backup plans have backup plans on how Absolutely. we're going to keep it warm if something happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. So now that you guys have actually lived up here for a little bit, um, mm -hmm. is it, you know, is it about what y'all thought it was going to be? Yes and no. Um, you know, you, you look while you're on Zillow and all these apps, you look at the maps of the area and you think, oh, Wasilla and Palmer, they're like right next to each other, right? And you, you get up here and they're 20 miles apart, not two towns on the, you know, the opposite sides of the highway or whatever. Um, but the, the scale of things um, was a little bit of a surprise. Um, we lived in a fairly open area where we were at in central Oregon, um, but it, it definitely can surprise you with the scale. Um, you know, if you're look, if you think you're looking at an area 30 miles wide, roughly start looking at that scale. And it might surprise you, you know, we were looking at houses from Willow to Palmer. And once we got down here and started driving, um, it became rather apparent that, that Willow was not going to work for us. <laughs> it's a little um, ways out there. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. I, I don't think a whole lot of people really appreciate how big Alaska is until you've, you've actually come down and um, come up and, and driven around a little bit. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird cause it's, it's a big state, but we don't have as many roads though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
We have been on gravel roads a few times, but it, it doesn't seem the area we live in now isn't too remote. Um, so you don't, we don't end up on gravel that much. It's pretty well paved in our area. Yeah. Which, I mean, during the winter time, it's pretty much irrelevant anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. And kind of the nice thing about the winter too, is any pothole that might've been in the road gets covered up and filled with ice anyway. So, yeah. All right. So what have you guys enjoyed doing up here the most so far? Uh, well, we moved into, we closed and moved into the property at the beginning of October. So we pretty much spent, uh, you know, it's mid November now, um, that first month kind of finished preparing the property for winter. Um, there were some wood piles and tarps and, and a few other miscellaneous things that we cleaned up um, and, you know, clearing stuff away from the house. Um, that's pretty much it. We did go up to Independence Mine, which is up in Hatcher Pass north of us, and that was beautiful. We got to hike around there in the snow a little bit. Um, but that's been it. We pretty much hit the ground running with the house, you know, unpacking and all that takes up quite a bit of time and, and getting settled in before winter comes. <laughs> you're a, you're a very practical, pragmatic family. <laughs> we try. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you guys going to get into like skiing, snowboarding, anything like that over the winter? Um, not this winter. We have some, uh, plans with the house construction wise that are going to take up the bulk of our time this winter, but certainly come the spring, summer, and fall, we'll be looking for other outdoor activities. Uh, we really enjoy hiking and fishing. So that'll probably primarily be it with the child. So let's see here from your perspective, what are some of the pros and cons you've noticed from your time from being up here so far? The pros, um, it's definitely, you know, we had a little bit of experience with Fairbanks, but it's definitely as beautiful as you always hear it is. Uh, definitely just as wild and forested. Um, the cons, I would say, is the, the scale if you're not accustomed to it um, and depending on the area that we, you live. Um, for us to run down to the store because we didn't make sure we had a couple extra eggs is, is a 45-minute to an hour venture pretty much minimum by the time you stop going somewhere drive back. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely a little more planning is, is helpful to maximize your time. That, that really does make sense. All right. So let's see here. I got just a couple more questions here. So from your perspective, uh, were there anything that we could have done to have made y'all's uh, transition up here any smoother? I don't think so. We did, uh, we did a lot of research beforehand, uh, like we talked about the border and stuff. Um, research your areas you want to live in. Um, if you will say you want to live in South Central, that's great. What part of South Central? I mean, you're uh, an hour north to south and probably an hour east to west driving around the Cook Inlet. So, um, yeah, maybe try maybe and pull things a, together. Yeah, maybe it's a something I just need to emphasize with people that um, picking a region of Alaska is just like narrowing it down to one state land-wise if you're in the lower 48. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. So um, 
yeah, again, goes back to planning uh, can can certainly help ease some of those changes. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's something that definitely did impress me with you guys from day one. I was like, man, these guys are like really on top of it. <laughs> all their details, like asking them questions and they've already gone and done the research or quoting the stuff right back to me. So I was impressed. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, it definitely helps. We, I'm, I'm a bit of a high strung person as well as my wife. So, uh, we, we definitely like to have things planned a little more than most people. Uh, but you never know. Sometimes it benefits you and sometimes it just takes more of your time. Yeah. Well, I, I would say being able to get straight through Canada without any issue. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say definitely. definitely (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good deal. Well, do you have any, um, final words or, or things you'd like to talk about then, or anything you'd like to say to people thinking about moving up here? Not necessarily just, you know, kind, kind of like what I've tried to drive, um, is just, you know, know where you're going, know your route, have alternate plans, you know, that the, the more planning you do, the less frustrated you're going to be when something doesn't end up your way or the way you anticipated. Um, it, it certainly can, can help ease some of those pains as your plans change and you have to remain flexible. Yeah. Which I mean, you know, every plan is perfect till the first bullet's fired. So just assume your plans are going to get disrupted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Primary plans and alternate plans. Oh, outstanding. All right. Well, Zane, I really do appreciate you, sir. And, um, if, um, any of you who are listening or thinking about making the move up to Alaska, do feel free to reach out to me through a link that's going to be in the show notes. And if you'd like a copy of a relocation guide, um, certainly go to that, that link, register to the website and just put in the, in the little comment section, relocation guide, and we'll send it over to you. So you can be prepared as you are making your move up to the last frontier, but, um, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.